Welcome to the Fallout Podcast, episode 14, aka Show Is Your Cock. Over here with the beard, we have Mr. Pippington Beard, the Ace of Wands. How are you today? Excellent, as always, Mr. Brendan. Thank you very much for asking. Good. And uh, the Pemberton Walker, how are the hills? Um, wet. Nice. Unfortunately, uh, Lord Sage Temple was cut down in his prime this week, so he's on his jollies somewhere. Uh, but we have stuff that he sent through the invisible wires along with Dr. Peel J. Esquire. So it is a fall bracket skirmish, all 500 ish songs going head to head, and a quintessential victory shootout. Divided into epochs of 77, 86, 94, 2002, and all that stuff. Here's a question for you, Phil. What is the defining moment for the fall? The defining moment for the fall. A a, a defining moment. A defining moment. The the indefinite rather than the definite. Exactly. Um, I, I think for me... Uh, a defining moment for the fall is for some reason Marky Smith reading the football scores which is not musically related at all but I, I just think that moment kind of cemented him as an institution in the country doesn't it rather than uh, rather than the crazy fringe artist that he was uh, up to that point so I, I don't know what it is about that moment I think it's probably just the BBC recognised him isn't it and uh, when Anti recognises somebody as an institution it kind of makes it all official then it's like that isn't it it's like if uh, he's been grinding away for, for 30 odd years and suddenly it's all legitimate he's a legitimate artist artist how about you? Um, I think the uh, Curious Orange, uh, the, 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 the ballet, probably. Pushing boundaries, weren't it? You know, you, you're taking music into indie punk, pop music, whatever you want to call it, into uh, the, the highbrow, uh, really pushing boundaries. Interesting subject matter. It's fantastic, isn't it? You know, who else has, has been so bold apart from maybe uh, the Who with the, the, the rock operas and things like that? But they were shite. <laughs> Exactly. I think it was when he decided to put uh, Over Over as the first track on Reformation to TLC. I think that's maybe the defining moment. I was going to do Curious Orange, but so you, you stole my thunder. And I refused to go for the Brownies 88 brawl on stage thing, although that is what um, is a defining moment for many. What about when they're on that car advert? <laughs> oh yeah, that counts as well. So, coming up tonight, we have Hard Life in the Country Off Room to Live up against Dragos Guilt 
off of 1984's Call to Escape Route. We have Idiot Joy Showland off Shift Work against Van Plague off the aforementioned Curious Orange. Uh, in Era 3, we have I Come and Stand at Your Door off Levitate up against the Call the Suyum from Light User Syndrome and uh, Mad Mark Goth off the Protein Christmas EP 2003 up against Insult Song Reformation 2000. But before we get into that, we've decided in our wisdom that we weren't taking up enough of your time. We're going to throw in a new segment, which may or may not be called A Past Gone Mad, Futures and Past, Collage in Your Memories Fast, or Track That Lava. And um, this is where we're going to briefly, very briefly, look at one of the influences or influenced of the fall, what uh, posh people might call fall adjacent. And tonight we're going to start with somebody suggested by Phil, Philip Rigby over there. Who do you think is important in the history of fall? So I, I, when you first asked this question, we, um, we we threw a few different ideas around. But I've gone for uh, Captain Beefheart and his magic band, who are, I think it's, it's, it's a good place to start with fall, really. And I've picked a few tracks. Do you, want me to, do you want me to play the music first? Yes, please. So I was really tempted to play some live stuff, but uh, the more that I've listened to it, I think it's it just takes a bit longer to get into it. So I'm just going to start um, with this track. Let's see if you, you're both big B40 fans, aren't you? Can you? I bet you can see my screen now, though, can't you? Yeah, Look I can away now. <laughs> So that's that's the first one. That's uh, that's a clip from Hothead of Doctor Radar Station, which I, I know you're both big fans of. I think that's a good track to start on because it's for me it's the musical element of this, which is is kind of uh, the, the most relevant because of the way that they construct the guitars over the top of each other. But the, this is the next one that I played. I have to run so far to find a clear spot. Sun's all hot and a rotten hot. Swamps all rotten and stinking. Which is uh, Clear Spot off the album Clear Spot. Do you know what year that is? Clear Spot was 72. And the final one. Are you not going to tell us? I thought, well, I didn't know. I was asking. <laughs> a genuine question. <laughs> it's the, no, it's a blind lead in the blind again. <laughs> and then this last one. I was going to try and get you to guess the tracks, but because I've got to show the screen, you're going to see them, aren't you? So it's, uh, it's kind of ruined that bit of it. <laughs> but here we go. Here's the last one. Chain. Pull 
Matt James Fuller. Fuller, Fuller. I knew this was a dangerous place to start. Oh, can we just talk about Captain Beefheart for five minutes? <laughs> Fucking <laughs> four hours later. Well, there's, there's the things that I wanted to talk about with Captain Beefheart really were th- this idea of appropriation and the fact that Beefheart appropriates blues and jazz music, but it's, it's taking a style that's already developed or a tradition that's already developed. And then putting it through the modernist deconstruction mill, isn't it? And it's even though all the way through his career um, and the Magic Band's career, because there's, there's a similar um, vibe, isn't there, of members leaving and it being quite antagonistic as a, as a, as a culture within the band. But um, it's always blues music. All the elements, if he deconstructs all the elements of the music, it's still blues and it's still jazz that they're doing. But together, the way that they bring those elements together is something completely different. And I, I think that's that's what the fall does with punk music and rock and roll, really, is they take those elements. It's the same vocabulary that they're playing with, but they do something very different with it. And as much as there's, um, there's this sense of aggression in a lot of it and the music but also the vibe of the band it's directed as much at the band and the audience as it is at anything else and it's um so there's i, I think there's a stack of similarities i mean basically it's the same project what beef out the magic band are doing what the fall are doing is exactly the same project and as much as it's a modernist deconstruction of, of some musical traditions and then taking this um poetic and sometimes oblique style to lyrical kind of composition they're doing something really, really different. So, I mean, we're all big beef fans, but those were the things that I wanted to kind of bring out. And my, my last, my last thing was um, just singing the praises of John French, really, which is something that's a bit different between the two bands because I don't see a John French character in the fall. It's just Marky Smith against the world, isn't it? Uh, whereas with beef you've got this coordinate a character of French who manages to bring all the kind of loose, crazier ideas together and, and turn it into a easy So yeah, so that was my start. No, I think you, you've hit the nail on the head with all that stuff, the, the angular kind of nature and the, the auteur at the core and the difference there being that uh, yeah, Smith would just say to his band make me some songs and then he would do with what he was, whereas Notoriously French, especially Trout Mask, sit down and actually pulled it out of DVV. Al, what's your kind of uh, take on on Fart and how he connects to the fall? Well, yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, of Fart. Uh, I've been since I was uh, a teenager. Uh, I think the first LP I got by Fart was Trout Mask as well, and it was um, second hand in Allen's, and it was Allen's own copy. Um, so it was, it was a decent nick. Um, yeah, and kind of obsessed over the LP for many a year. Uh, although I did find it confusing originally. I think it was the, the confusing element to it that, that drew me into it. Um, but yeah, the, Peely always used to sort of say that, you know, the two most influential bands that he could think of were, you know, uh, The Fall and Captain Beefheart Magic Band. 
and there is a lot of similarities in the in the way that sort of like there's myths in uh, sort of legends uh, surround both bands. Um, so yeah, I do think they've trod a, a very similar path. Yeah, and they they crossed over occasionally. Obviously, the fall covered Beetle Bones, and they've ripped off many times uh, beef art esque stuff. And um, I, I suggested that maybe his later albums had a debt to post punk and the fall in particular. But I don't know. There's nothing verified on that kind of stuff. But yeah, DVV and MES definitely uh, two mythical majestical rock and roll characters and um, um, you know i can't go, i can't go an episode without dropping in the f word but um yeah have you heard uh, give me that harp little frank i don't know i don't think i've heard that one no check it out it does mirror man as well and it's amazing nice <laughs> well, mirror me, I'm, mirror puppet. <laughs> I'm sure given his cover of hit the north he will pop up on this show as in this segment at some point what invisible stew said about beef fights. Ah. ah, and he put for me, beef fights similarity to the fall is less a similarity of sound, more a reveling in idiosyncrasy and a full embracing of a sound or set of sounds. I think that both the captain and Mez share a sort of inability to understand why they weren't more popular, and as a result, were rarely able to produce things that were overly derivative. Both also are known for that dark side, with tyrannical and unpleasant behaviour being regularly noted. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot more we could say about uh, Smith and Beef on that side, and um, although I don't think Smith, even in his worst moments, ever did anything as bad as some of the stuff on Blue Jeans and Moonbeams. <laughs> Here's what Ezra said about uh, Beef. As for the captain connection, not her doc to my eternal shame, hardly surprises that Strictly would be a mess approved album. The fall were always partial to some deep flange. Great parallels between the tyrannies of Beef and the carry bag man. For those of us lucky enough to avert road fins, the clattering acid blues of the live renditions of electricity, Shonoff, etc., crackle with the same demented innovation of some of the fall's best CNN boogaloos. Obs, the blues came out in the wash with the fall. Oblique, as oblique as we would like. But um, let's move on to the main course for today. Phil, first song up, we have Hard Life in the Country off Room to Live, the undilutable slang truth from 1982. Can you give us a blast? Let's go for it. There's people that fucking just do it cold and buy in and settle. That's what's scary. Sort of a reedy, John. Somehow it's reedy, so. gets pulled right back you get a terrible urge to drink we could go on what a fucking stormer 
Alistair, what do you make of this? Well, uh, I love the LP. Um, uh, I think it's a great one, but it's got a right sort of bleak, dark sound to it. Um, and I love the, the guitar in it. Uh, you got like the slow discord bit at the, in the beginning, uh, and then the, you got the fast and sort of like rhythmic part to it. It's, it I think it's quite an edgy sound to it as well. Uh, it does remind me of kind of like the, the sound of, of waking up with a bad hangover. It's like sound soundtrack to that. Um, <laughs> The lyric uh, going on about living in the country, you get a terrible urge to drink. What's his excuse then? He lives, you know, he hates the country, he's in the city all the time. <laughs> That's just as bad. I know, it must be. But I, I love the, 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 the villages. <laughs> but that was, uh, that was a great bit of uh, Smithy vocals. Nice. Tell what, does this tickle you? So I was throwing a bit of shade on this album, wasn't I, a few weeks ago? But it's a bit of a weird episode like, for me because there's an album that I hate with a tune that I really like on it. And there's an album that I'm, I'm not so keen on with a tune that I think is one of the best fall tunes, which is this. I, I think it's an incredible tune. This. What's, what's really surprised me the more and more that I've listened to it is just how meticulously constructed the music is and how... Um, how bold some of the choices are, really. I'm surprised Al didn't make reference to the drums or lack of in this tune, really, because it's just a kick and uh, and I think a cymbal, isn't it? Which yeah. I think doubles up slightly towards the end of the song. And it was, uh, you had me in, in hysterics earlier this week, Brendan, with some uh, imaginings of what the studio was like, the scurry face of Marky Smith leering over the drummer's threatening him not to do any fills or to add any, any beats that weren't required. <laughs> the intro as well. What is he saying? Is it reedy or weedy? Or is That's it both? The, it's a bit of both, isn't it, I think? It's I think bit. it's both. And is it good or bad that, that it's that? That's the other thing I couldn't work out. With it. <laughs> it just struck me it's contrarian. It's just him having something to say. I remember taking a report into a boss once because she didn't have anything negative to say about it. She told me there was too much white space on the paper. <laughs> <laughs> the best criticism I've ever had of something. So it's like, it just felt like that. It felt like, I've got to say something here. I've got to make my presence known. And that's that's the way I took it. The, or the, other, the other kind of thought I had last night when I was giving these a, a kind of final listen to was I said it about I think it was Jay Temperance the other week about how classically kind of arranged the piece of music was and I was thinking about this in terms of what, it, what would it sound like with like a string section and brass and kind of how would you how would you arrange it like that and then I was thinking no that's completely missing the point it's it, it, these are it's an aesthetic choice to do it like this to use instruments like guitars and drums and to even though they're kind of going against the grain of not having a solid rhythm kind of traditional rhythm section in it and to use the guitars really to get the momentum going in it. It's just like, I, I think it's a really good experimental piece and it's, but it, they totally deliver on it. And it's, I'm, I'm going to reference it again with another track later on to try and do the same thing, but years later. Yeah, so I think it is Scanlon's guitar and it, it, there's something here that says that the, the fellow from Ludus, Arthur Cadman, was in the studio and played because notoriously this was the album after Hex where Smith kind of, decide to kick back and this is why Steve Hanley said he doesn't like it because it's almost like he did an anti-hex induction by just he'd invite certain people in on certain days and some people wouldn't be here and they wouldn't hear the songs before they played them um, the album as a whole I don't know if it holds together but those first three tracks of Joker Hysterical Face Marky Tracha and this are absolute fucking stormers but I think it is 
And and after you called me out the other week, of, and we talked about this the other day, of me not listening to the music enough because I love Smith and his lyrics and his vocal delivery. I've spent a lot more time with the music. And that angular guitar, I think Scanlon makes it, that's all you need. I think everybody else is just operating around kind of him and Smith's dancing around. They're almost like they're dancing around each other and then, yeah, just glaring at the drummer. Whether there's two of them in the room at that point, I don't know whether he's glaring at Burns and Hanley, but he's definitely, there's a symbol that sneaks in after about three minutes and then it goes away again. You can see him like, dock, dock your wages if there's another, if the hi-hat goes again. But um, God, there's so much in this song to get into, just the the... the the stick people receive, the locals get up your nose, the nymphet new romantics coming over the hill, the D Bowie lookalikes, the sinister locals that are gathering around his house. Um, uh, and, and geometric tracery is just, there is a lot in this song and I fucking love it. And hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about it again. Go on. I do, I do like the, the way that it, they're definitely not trying to make any friends or influence people with this LP. Um, <laughs> It's so uncommercial. It's unbelievable. And it's, you know, like you're saying about the people being in the studio one day, not the next. It's like an experiment that, you know, Smith's just trying out sort of, okay, like what were the dynamics with this? Uh, some of it could just be the control freakery as well. It's something that's very typical of the fall in the, the concept of what it is. Yeah. And just, yeah, that contrarian nature. Stuart Lee got a full half an hour out of that. Uh, it's boring in the countryside, so I have to drink a lot. He, uh, it's a, two songs tonight that he managed to get a full set out of. Uh, so, so good work, Stuart. Uh, D Bowie. So I used to work in a record shop. Um, it was owned by the fellow who manages the charlatans. And um, our good friend Mooney, who was a fall obsessive, was very, very... <laughs> he would come in all the time and point out the fact that the way we organised our shelves were by first initial, last name. And so we had all those albums under D. Bowie. And uh, this used to tickle him um, just to no end. He would point it out a lot. Um, it, it was a bit of a left turn that they talk about New Jersey car parks, though, because it's set, set ostensibly in the British countryside. But uh, I could go on. I'm going to read Sage Temple's um, thing because uh, I'll, I'll do his voice. That's do the voice. Do the voice, friend. Aha! Uh-huh. A hard life in the country. Brilliant, grinding track. Awesome lyrics. Flashback to rustic hell of rural upbringing. Almost documentary feel. Nymphet new romantics come over hill. It gets a bit depressing. Paper local. Drunken scandal. Publish your address as well. Locals surround where you dwell. All it goes on a bit, doesn't it? Government campaigns. Do we all live in the country now and suffer the impacts of technology on local minds? Was it in the countryside that solidarity first went to mush? Who knows? That somewhat slow pronunciation of Jews seems a hem suspect. I thought that too. Interesting to hear what other thinks. Laura diminishing returns. Let me tell you, by the end of by the last song, he's not writing as much. <laughs> 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 what does Peely think of this one? So yes, uh, he was tapping through the uh, the radiator plumbing last night, and he left the following message: a masterpiece full of menace and the grinding, rumbling accompaniment that shifts and twists. I won't do the voice and twists about. It also contains one of my favourite Smithy moments with the glorious screech of the villagers surrounding the house. There's something Wickerman adjacent about it all. Eyebrows on cheeks. Shit. 
Wise words indeed. Let's move on to 1984's Drago's Guild. If you would, carry it out, Phil. How did that get in there? That's, that's Mona by Craig McLaughlin. And check one, too. Oh, yeah, and check one, too. Well remembered. I looked it up today because you told me you were going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> that's my list. <laughs> what I was really looking up is to see whether there was a Pete Waterman connection. Couldn't so get it. Connection? Couldn't get it off quick enough. No, because the Pete Waterman connection would have come from him putting all Kylie and Jason stuff right all the time and also, yeah. and he was a friend of uh, Smith, right? He gave him studio time, and those Inch lads that did some of the stuff with Smith worked for Waterman. So that, I'd be interested to know more about Waterman and uh, Smith's friendship if there was one. But anyway, Drago's guilt. Phil, let us in to your feelings on this. Well, I, I, so I started writing my notes about this song earlier on in the week because obviously we have to give them all substantial amount. You want to give them a fair shake of the stick, Brendan, exactly. don't you? Give, give them the day. Give them the day and some. And, uh, but I ended, up, I ended up putting a bit of a list of, uh, of malapropisms together, which was uh, I started with Shit Diddly and then Bore Shitly, Crap Widdly, Bore Squatly, <laughs> Bore Rubbishy, Bore Piddly, Poo piddly, pop dawdly, and then wrote money for oldie. Um, but last night when I was when I was got, when I was really listening to, it, I actually thought it's all right. It's all right. You got a road to road to domestos moment. <laughs> it's good. It's I can just imagine Craig McLaughlin. when you take Smithy's vocal off it though. I can imagine Craig McLaughlin singing over the top of it though, which is not that's that's not a good thing. But um, I think into it's it's all right. It's another one. There was one the other day, wasn't there? When I was saying that if it came on the radio, if it came on the radio, it'd be all right. It was a different band, but you kind of expect a bit more from the following. Not my bug. Let's see what cups the cup lord says. He says, "Drago's guilt. Good track, earworm. Master bold morals get reptiles and snakes." He's just copied and pasted lyrics, basically. I'd like to know if there's a comma in that line. Master bold morals get reptiles and snakes. I'd like to know if there's a comma in that line. Checking the punctuation. I remember you, Philip, having an argument with a man on the street about punctuation in the Bible. <laughs> but uh, maybe that's not today. Haven't heard enough to decide. Anywho, both good tracks, but clear when it is dot, dot, dot. Not to tell you yet. Al, what do you make of Drago's Guild? I quite like Drago's Guild. Um, decent little pop song, you know. Um, that's one that they could possibly have, have had a bit of uh, success in the hit parade with. You never know, with the, given the right backing. I like the fact that, that all the lyrics are about the uh, snooker player Tony Drago uh, being involved in the Katanga massacre of nuns. Um, I ended up feeling a bit bad about it afterwards. Hushed up. Um, I was hushed yeah. up, wasn't it? It certainly was. was. Big, yeah. big, big. Katanga, Katanga. Virgo and uh, the Mau Maus. 
I really like the, the, the bits of the uh, drums on it. Is there two drummers on that? So what was this? This was the skate route. So that was weird and frightening era. So I think there's two at that point. Although yeah, no, I think Han- I'm not sure if Hanley's gone and, and Funky Sai's not come in yet. So I'm not sure. It sounds a bit to me like this, just with the, the way that the hi hats work. Because uh, there's some really good little, just, just little tight bits in there that you don't expect to come in there that give it just a, a little extra, you know, just chucks it, something else into the mix and, you know, gives it a little bit of a swing to it. And it had something yesterday on WFMU uh, that really reminded me of it. And um, it, it was a way was of... Was it one, It was Check one, two. It was My Uzi Wears a Tum by Public Enemy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> it was just a little something about what they, you know, what's going on with the hi hats in it. Yeah, uh, but in a way, it reminds me a bit of um, Carrie Brook Grant's wedding. You know, the, the fast bit at the end. But yeah, I like it. I think time's enough. And uh, Phil, I think you've been a little bit on the harsh side. A little bit. I mean, but um, I do get the hey moan in a way. But I know it's the the big drums on that. But uh, that jangly bo diddly beats in there again somewhere in the mix um, it's a nice jangly 80s pop tune and it's the kind of thing that I would have accepted from almost anybody else although this doesn't take me off in the way that some other songs have done I kind of I kind of like it but it um, I've been p- pushing you uh, Phil and Invisible Street uh, with this idea that it's Shakespearean and there's something more going on in the lyrics beyond obviously Drago and Virgo and Ronnie uh, Ronnie the Wani this idea of I'm the one who gave you a chance in life how could you try and end my life I, I do like that clunky rhyme and there's a spiritual king has to rise or perish and throw away the charity handouts blow his nose on the last pound note I can't quite get where he's going with and I think there's some misdirect in the lyrics but come on Smith give us a sign is it uh, Iago's guilt or something else what does Peel Jay Peel of heaven think so not only coming through the ether, but he was hanging around in the in the bunker chat as well. So much discussion in room CH1011 about this one, still none the wiser. I like it though, and it surprised me to find out it was old by the time it was recorded. And the lyric from it ended up in On This Dare. It chugs nicely in a jangly indie way, and I wouldn't turn it off. In fact, there are a lot of albums that would be made better by this being on there. Mm-hmm. Like a, a, an orange juice or a voice of the beehive, one of those jangly 80s Scottish bands. This would be a, this, exactly this popped up an Aztec Camera album. Oh, God forbid, a prefab sprout B side. We'd be ready. I'm thinking, I'm thinking it'd be a, a, a cracker on the uh, indie dance floor. Yeah, exactly. But it is time for us to vote. And I am voting for a Hard Life in the Country as much as Drago did make some ground. What about you, Phil? Country, all the way. Aye, aye. Alistair? Country. And There's a bit more to it, in there? Yeah, there is. It, it's, it's, it's got some depth. It's got some depth there. And... Anywho, both good tracks. Anyway, both good tracks, but clear winner is Hard Country for Grim Kitchen Sinkness. That's what he sounds Jesus. like. Anyway, Grim Kitchen Sinkness that calls, calls around you like Cobra in a shell suit. God, he is the boss today, isn't he, the old Sage? Yes, normally he's just slurring his words and saying how fucking great everything is, but we should make him write his stuff down in a sense more. Yeah. <laughs> what is JP, what's he going for? 
Well, just just to thumb his nose at you, I think he's put all of the scores separately now in a, in a smart table that he said. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mocked his points going. So, I'd uh, live in the country is uh, an unsurprising two, whereas uh, Drago is is trailing behind with one. Uh, all right, so hard life goes through, and I think we all agree that's the right choice. So, moving on to idiot Joy Shoreland off shift work and Van Plague off Curious Orange. It's a blast of IJS. <laughs> It's uh, vitriolic, but not in the way Sir Cary Grant's was aggressively. It's kind of laid back, slouching aggression. It's a, it's a, it's a partially passed out man with a flick knife having a go at idiot groups with no shape or form perform out of their heads on a quid of blow. It, this strikes uh, close to home for some, for some people who shall remain nameless. <laughs> Do they have been in piss for indie bands around the t- even 1993-94? This is the time, Phil. We need to tell the story, right? We had a band, me and Phil, 1990s, and we were playing the Night and Day Cafe in uh, Manchester. And uh, we're sound checking, and, and uh, we noticed this bar is empty, and there's one person sat at the back. He's fucking Mark E. Smith at the back table with a pint of beer. We, so we fire up our fall, fall track and about 20 seconds and he just stands up, leaves his almost full pint of beer and without looking back just walks out, dreams dashed, hopes destroyed and uh, I'm sure that was one of the straws that eventually broke uh, the camel's back. But uh, You know it's bad when an alcoholic leaves half his drink behind door. Exactly. <laughs> well, we're fucking jangling on with her. Oh, this is the fall one. This sounds like the fall. Could you, do you love us, Mark? At <laughs> <laughs> the end of the day, he was sending out a message and you got it eventually. Here we so. got it. <laughs> That's the important part to remember. A mere six years later, we packed it in. <laughs> <laughs> With your competitive plagiarism, it's like that Spinal Tap moment, isn't it? Where or, uh, Led Zeppelin think it's, uh, uh, yes, sir, or madam, hey, you imitated. Look at what you are—a pack of worms. It's very fucking vitriolic. It shows your house and shows your cock. I wonder if this was a reference to stars in your eyes because he talks about Freddie and the Dream and stuff. But apparently, he quite liked. He'd said at one point, Freddie and the Dreamers were the best band to ever come out of Manchester. <laughs> Obviously, he didn't like the Mondays and the Roses, um, or at least pretended not to. And then he moved to uh, Edinburgh, didn't he? So, what the fuck are you sneering at? Is is as direct a threat as Smith ever made, I think. Uh, I could go on. Um, Alf, what's your take on Idiot Joy Showland? You've covered the lyrics there. They are great, aren't they? Um, well, I remember the LP when it came out, um, but the, the lyrics didn't stand out to me quite as much. I just thought it was having a bit of a pop at bands, but I never really dug into it. But I've been having to listen to it for doing this on uh, several 
occasions, I did find them hilarious, yeah. Really good use of, of sort of potty mouth in there. Much, much to be applauded with that. But I thought the bass was, was really good. Excellent. Really nice work there. Okay, drum fills that were simple. Could have perked it up a bit. I did find the drumming completely boring. It's just like they looped something. There's no kind of groove to it, even though it's like a skippy beat. I don't know if it's meant to be crap, uh, because they're taking the piss out of crap bands. Yeah, I thought the drums were very unimaginative. Guitar riff on the chorus is just dog shit. And, you know, the vocals following it, it's just boring, boring, boring. But, you know, the, the, on the upside, it's bloody hilarious if you listen to the lyrics. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I got the, that nice bass riff where it's kind of almost fighting against the guitar. It works really nice, but again, the chorus is uh, a bit lazy. And I, it does say something like Sam. Simon, our drummer, was doing all these Manchester beats, so I thought, let's go the whole hog. So he knew that he was shit. <laughs> Went on to play with Ian Brown and um, all that kind of stuff. But um, that was great. <laughs> no, Manny was in Brown, was the best player. Ah. But um, bass player of the Roses, but Simon Walton still went on to play uh, with Ian Brown's uh, band. I think. I think he was like mates with him. Uh, Phil, what's your take on this one? So I knew the song before we were listening to it, <clears throat> but not listening listen to it that much. And then giving it a few listens, it, it really started to confuse me. It was like I, musically, these riffs just just don't naturally go together, and it was like. It really puzzled me for quite a few days because I couldn't stop singing along with the song, and it was like I couldn't quite work out why it worked as a tune. And then, and then I did have a moment of clarity last night, and I was listening to it with a penny dropped, and it's because it sounds like the monks. It's it's I can imagine the monks singing this tune, and it's like and even the lyrical stuff that he's throwing in, where he's going, Freddie and the Dreamers, come on down, all that kind of um, show busy compa, working class compa thing that he goes into, and the show is your cock sort of variety heckle, which reminded me of when uh, we were in that comedy club in London actually, we kept trying to work for that guy to pull his pants down. <laughs> it was it was that moment last night where I was thinking, yeah. That's that's why this works. It's that monk's vibe that it gets going, and even the guitar in it sounds like a monk's kind of guitar line all the way through. So it's like I don't think it's the greatest song in the world, but it really, really got in my head. This song, I found myself singing it absolutely loads this week. So, um, and I, I think the lyrics are, are brilliant. I think that they're, it's it's. I've got two favourite playground insults that come out in this uh, in this episode today. That is my first one with the uh, off the resort of the blow line, which just had me in play. You've lost your fucking mind, mate. If you think this sounds like like the monks, <laughs> I can kind of. No, I'll give you. I'll give you that. It has. A, it has a, yeah. it has a bit of a tinge. It's a, it's a nice. So let's see what Sage Temple has to say about this. Idiot Joy Showland, similar to Lie Dream of Casino Soul, Hey Student, Brits in Hot Weather, and doubtless many others. Another title track that, to me, is a perfect summation of modern post-industrial feudal corporate life. Here we see Mez artfully weave a state-of-the-nation diatribe from personal gripe. He apparently has with every other musician in Manchester. Not for the first time either. I do really dig how he broadens the target of his pile here, though. Bile. Hey, little singer, come on, show us your house and show us your cock. The working class has been shafted, so what the fuck are you staring at? An incisive dissection of the performative rebellion and why it's bullshit. It's incorrectly punctuated. I, I imagine that was an auto. Again, we arrive at the question of 
of the false rebellion. Is Mrs. anti-commodified rebellion, rebellion non-commodifiable? I suppose the Ennis band had a lot more integrity than most. I'm sick and tired. I'm not going to take it anymore. <laughs> I'm tired of this commercialization and I'm not going to take it anymore. That's Albert Finney's say in that film, is it? When he shouts out the window. Have I had enough of you? And your commercializations. To do Peel or Van Play. Say that again. <laughs> Do you want to read Peel or should we listen to Van Plague? Uh, well, I'll tell you what he says, which is a loving tribute to the Manchester scene. Just strikes me as whiny and bitter nowadays, to be honest. It's okay, and I like the bass line a lot, but I don't think ultimately it adds up too much. Huh. Well, you know, bit of everything. One man's meat, etc., etc. Let's listen to Van Plague. Alistair, Alistair Aspinall, what do you make of Van Plague? Yeah, that's a great tune. Um, I do think that a lot of the stuff on Curious Orange, you, you, it's very kind of spacious. You can tell that it's been written for the dancers in mind. Um, but that, it's like a nice sort of like bit of person. There's a lot of, well, the bits where you kind of drop down, there's a lot of room for movement in it for the, for the choreography. Quite like the, the, the bits on the, uh, the drop down bit with the sticks. Some great guitar feedback on there as well. Should clearly be a lot louder. But again, it's it's like you you were saying about the monks uh, with the last song. It's just like randomly use random use of feedback. You, you barely notice it. You've got to kind of like really pick it apart to to notice it. But yeah, it's a, that's a nice little bit we put in there. But yeah, structure's brilliant. But the whole LP, love it. That period of history found quite interesting. You know, so sort of read uh, Peeps' diaries, uh, which um, were completely boring, in my opinion. But yeah, the stuff that was going on at the time was very interesting, and there's, there's plenty of stuff that you can pick from it. It's a very understated song. So one of the reasons it appealed to me is because it's quite... You pointed this out, Phil, a few days ago, which is interesting you picked this up too. It sounds like something similar in style to stuff I write. It's kind of understated, indie-ish kind of stuff, and it doesn't jump around a lot. There's not a lot of uh, intricate stuff going on, but I think that's why it really appealed to me. I really kind of like wanted to take it under... Under my wing and say, "Come on, Van Fleg, I'll I'll look after you." <laughs> I think this is a very heavy sort of. Well, you see, Bricks has definitely stamped to ground there. You know, she she's marked a territory with this one. Her sound is there, but it's it's more of a like you're saying a subdued Bricks, mm. uh, less of a sort of uh, day glow architect on speed Bricks. Yeah, I I, I love I really love the song, and then. You know, starting to hear the lyrics, I try to listen to it quite a few times before I read anything about the lyrics. And clearly he's talking about this plague and it's like, is, is the plague AIDS? 
Because, I mean, if you're hanging around ballet dancers in the 1980s, there's a good chance that this is going to come onto your radar. But then there's the idea of it's VD brought in by William of Orange. Or is it just about someone having smelly socks on his van? Or is it all of them or none of them? Because we'll never know. And it's, it's such a... When I did start reading the lyrics, um, Father Takes Any Strides is back in the closet, son. I'm not sure what that means, but I thought that was a really... Um, interesting kind of um, image. A plague float from the ocean, from Satan's tree and his baboon. A body's waist is a gibbous moon. This is clearly about the, the monkey theory of AIDS. Um, madness, I don't know what's going on in those lyrics, but really, really interesting ideas. And, and sympathetic, I think. It's not It's not mocking this idea. It is, it's sympathetic in the most abstract way. I'm on your side, but I can't really explain why or how. Phil? I was just uh, just looking at what Peely had written about it, actually. Where he, he said, this is more like it. it. doesn't really sound like anything else in the catalogue. It feels like a genuine meditation on something or other. STDs, question mark. So it's to me sort of accordion-ish, maybe warped folk influences. No idea, but I like it a lot. And I was I, I thought that that idea of it being a meditation on something was was quite uh, accurate in terms of how it feels because like you say it's not like you can pin it down on any one thing it's it's like it's uh, it's like this nebulous kind of collection of related ideas that he's playing around with in a, in a poetic way isn't it and I, I think musically it's it's really beautiful it's the production on it's great. I picked up on the feedback. I don't think it's guitar feedback. I think it's um, megaphone feedback. There's a few be. bits. It's a few bits where he drops the megaphone in, isn't there? But it's it's so. I I know I know what you meant before about it not being loud enough and all that. But I think it's really light touch the production on this. I think it's it's quite nicely pulled together. I think it works really well because it is. It's got to it's got to serve a different purpose, hasn't it, as a soundtrack to choreography? And I think it does. It, it's got that in mind in terms of how they how they pull it together as a piece. I think, and I think it's the, the arrangement's really lovely on it. I, I think the middle eight where everything the drums all drop out and stuff, and it reminded me a lot of John of Arc. <clears throat> it, 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 it sounded to me like the kind of tune that John of Arc would kind of pull together as well. But I I, I think it's uh, I think it's a, it's a really lovely piece of music and lyrically just intriguing just a very intriguing Ezra as I said uh, dropped off somewhat his uh, notes on this song is great track <laughs> I'm going to ask you he's so verbose isn't he wordy this was the most difficult vote for me tonight I think um I'm still actually right now not 100% decided, which is why I'm going to go with Alistair first. What are you going for? Damn plague. Damn plague. Damn plague. Nice. Yeah, not a, not a no contest. Interesting. Phil? So, um, Peely went for Van Plague with two points. I'm with you. I'm really, really torn on this. And it's it's really quite difficult to make. Ezra's gone for idiot joy. So it's 2 1. Thanks for making that. Tension's rising. <laughs> because I, I, there's a Van Plague's a very, very good song. If it was just about what the better song is, then it's Van Plague. But I, there's something just about Idiot Joshua Land that I just fucking love. And I, I, I can't quite put my finger on it. 
Because it's a cock in it. That's what it is, Phil. We know what you're like. Probably that. It's probably yeah. just a URL toilet humor. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do like the class sort of criticism in it. I think I think it's I don't think it's on the nose. I think do think that's quite poignant in it. I think that's quite interesting. Ah, I don't know. I don't know. Um I'm gonna go idiot Joy Shoreland. Yeah. So the thing is that the I said these eight tracks, and you kind of wondered whether I was taking the piss a little bit, but these eight tracks together made a really great listen. Like last week I found it a bit of a slog because there are a few tracks I didn't really get into. This yeah. week I liked every track in some way because they, they were so diverse. And I think this coupling is as diverse as it gets. You've got Idiot Joy versus Van Play. I'm going to go for Van Plague because I love it. But I, I I think Idiot Joy might make its comeback in that second round, along with like 40 other songs that we're now saying. <laughs> I look back in. So uh, Van Plague is... Did we, we listen to everyone's opinion on this, right? Ready to move on to... Uh, I come and stand at your door from Levitate. So talking about fucking outliers, Phil, we have we almost came to blows this week over this one. Don't walk away. I love a party with an atmosphere. I don't walk away. Come on, Phil. You're up. What do you make of this? So, oh, God, right. So for days and days and days and days and days of listening to this, I couldn't get past the similarity to Atmosphere by Joy Division. And it was really, really, really just blocking me from listening to this song which by the way doesn't exist until, uh, until I... <laughs> <laughs> how, can, how can you not hear atmosphere you I'll, I'll be quiet i'll, 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 I'll have my tongue well I, I disagree i'd say it sounds considerably more like decades by joy division oh okay. which is one close of it with all the piano the, the dead yeah. slow yeah Atmosphere's got got that sort of drifty piano on it as well. Anyway, we've had this argument. So it's anyway. I followed your advice. I was the bigger person. I was the. (laughs) I let myself go with it all, and I sat on a beanbag and you know switched to put a candle on, listen to the tune, and um, it's it's just so bizarre. Everything about this is really, really bizarre, and I, 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 I think I finally come to the conclusion that I just, I just don't think it works. I think that's what my problem is with it. I just don't think it works. And then it, it's, oh, I'll let you talk about the lyrics and all that kind of stuff. But we, we, we did have quite a long discussion around pieces of art that operate in the realm of like sadness and kind of and those more horrible spectrums of emotion and feeling and that kind of thing, like um, that uh, cartoon we were talking about, Grave of the Fireflies and um, When the Wind Blows and stuff like that, because it's, uh, it's, it's all about those really sort of sad themes, isn't it? And it's it's not something, anyway, speaking personally, that I would naturally find myself kind of popping on 
because it's it's just not the stuff that appeals to me. But but at the same time, I can appreciate that stuff, and I have watched those things, and it's like you know I've taken something from it. But this, I don't know, it just doesn't work for me. Even even giving it as much of a, a chance as I have, I just think it's we know we can do. We know we can do gentle, vulnerable kind of music and songs. He's 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 got a whole horse to them. This to me just I don't know, just falls a little bit. Of it. Yeah. Oh, what's your take? Why do you make this one? Um, I wasn't too keen. I agree quite heavily with Phil on, on this. It, it reminds me of, you know, if you take Smith's vocals off it, you, you could have one of these really shitty poets that they have nowadays doing inspirational bollocks that you see on the adverts on the BBC and things like that, you know. Um, I, I, I just did not like that. The drum sound was terrible, uh, completely ruins it. Uh, really wooden, boring beat, shit to walk to, shit to listen to. Uh, it's like badly read. Um, it could do with it. It's like the mix is just completely wrong on it as well. Um, it, I think it just it needs something else in there to make it listenable, really. I heard a song yesterday as well. He's there, an Alan Vega one, Samurai, that it really quite reminded me of, of like you know, the feel of it. Uh, but it was just done considerably better. Um, it, some of the post-suicide Vegas stuff is is definitely worth checking out. Uh, I'll put you down as a maybe then, shall I? <laughs> yeah, you might. Our <laughs> biggest stuff, it does make sense. I got this song called uh, I Heard Your Name, I think. I heard your name and I'll never be the same. It's a, it's a kind of like dainty nursery on style song. Really, really nice. Kind of, I, I get that vibe, but Smith with no teeth in so this poem's been it, it's weird because this is one of the few times smith's not singing his own lyrics it's a it's a poem that he's adapted the birds did a cover version of this peter pete seeger did a version of it and it's about hiroshima it's about the ghost of a child coming and as i do generally start with lyrics this i didn't know what it was about i didn't read into it until i listened to it a few times and i could hear him talking about being dead and stood at the door and not needing rice or bread and i was like, this is really fucking weird for smith's lyrics it's very literal it's it's very direct very objective and that line when children die they do not grow so I was actually quite disappointed when I found out later that he hadn't written it. It wasn't, but it's still beautiful. It, it really, I think uh, Pelia in the week talked about it being kind of maybe connected to birthday song in some ways. And it's got a similar vibe. They're both Nagel playing sparse kind of piano kind of sounds. But I think there's a really, there's a huge rift between what those two are trying to achieve. And they both do it very effectively in, in different ways. This really kind of, I thought it was absolutely beautiful, but on its own, no. But in the context of a playlist that has idiots, <laughs> insult song and mad mock goth, it's like it, it was it, somewhat breathtaking in a way. I, I really, really, really loved it. And every time it came on, I listened from beginning to end. So I don't know. I'm just a sucker for this kind of kind of stuff. So, and um, I mean, I've been in Japan enough for the last twenty years as well, and uh, I've you know. It's hard to say how much that kind of stuff is, uh, you know, is in my kind of psyche as well. But uh, yeah, beautiful. And and over the covers of Seeger's 
and the birds. And there's a, there's a really weird garage rock version that just totally <laughs> shits up over the, the, the meaning of the lyrics. Um, uh, this is by far the most affecting one. Although, does he undercut it by them putting the instrumental on the album and calling it Jap Kid? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Uh, Jesus, does he? He knows how to um, do the work. Um, Ezra has offered no opinion on this other than to say that it is better than Coliseum. <laughs> As I said, tailed off somewhat after his essay on hard life in the country. What about John Field? So I can understand his part. I like this sparse reflection on something or other. Buried vocals streaming with reverb and a plaintive melodic phrase dancing around in the back. I remember being sort of shocked by this when I heard it the first time. I would have liked to hear an album of Wistful Mez. What's it called? Mm, it's an outlier in a, in a band of outliers, but uh, it's up against a real monolith, Colosseum of Light User Syndrome, 1996. Cue it up, Phil, if you would. So normally, given my perverse nature, if I hear a song that is universally derided, such a succession, man, I'm like, I've got to love this song. This is going to be my favourite song. I remember buying Black Grip's second album, Stupid, 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 and he's like, this is the worst album I've ever made. Oh, I'm going to listen to it every day until I love it. There is not much to redeem this song. I... I I don't often struggle to say stuff, but, but uh, dancey synth noises, dated guitar stamps, collapsed shell, mystery brown brass. That's all I've got. <laughs> Al, what do you make of Coliseum? <laughs> I wrote loads on it, and it was just the, it, the old negative, and I can't be asked reading it, tell truth. So. <laughs> <laughs> Wooden in it, you know. It's it's like it's competently done. You know, it's not like you know there's loads of mistakes in it or anything like that. It's just yeah, just dull, you know, grass growing that kind of thing. Um, best bit on it is probably like the the, the open strum from bricks, you know. Uh, but there was loads of dead good sort of music going around at the time that was sort of synthy, techno-y, and they're trying to well, you got the proddy dodgy type beats to it. Um, but yeah, I was listening to loads of dead good stuff at the time. I wrote on here somewhere just as a, a kind of reference point shit map, like going to shit map gig right about that time with you, Phil. If you remember that one in Liverpool. Uh, um, you know, there was lots of really, really good stuff going on. Scott Chegg. What you, what you, you say it was 96 there. But even then, you got sort of like Square Pusher, Apex Twin. You know, like proper killing the, uh, you know, the dance synth sound. But that was just... 
a waste of time. Because <laughs> sometimes they'll cite that Smithy was into his like Italio disco and the big house of pianos and stuff, but it's not even that. It's like a fucking short, minor key, like low, low energy version of that. I said perverted by language, the song I listened to a few weeks ago, and it was it was a B-side tucked away because clearly knew that nobody brought anything to that track <laughs> this is the same no everyone's like you say not there's no mistakes it's competent i can hear everything but there's, there's nothing to nothing to hang on to phil what's yours uh what's your take so uh so so i'm going to start off by saying the things that i didn't like about it but don't worry because i will end up in the same place as you two by the end of this well i, I think there was some, there's some lyrical bits in it that really reminded me of Alan Moore. I, I thought some of his turns of phrase, like the jingle jangle of the city and trusting the columns and the brass rails, whatever, that to me really sounded like something that Alan Moore was like Watchmen or, um, or Beef of Vendetta or something like that. He's, he's kind of very dense, poetic prose, that, that kind of stuff, and very urban sort of vibe to it all. But yeah, it, it's this. So this is the album that I love, and a track that I fucking hate. And the, the more that I've listened to it, the more it just irritates and grates against me. It's too long. It's the production is awful all the way through, and I couldn't stop singing Utah Saints all the way through it. It was it was just like it's the kind of stuff you put like a couple of Utah Saints tunes on. This would fit right in with it. Um, so it's I, I love this album. It's it's no layer on that album as much as something that's just not very good. Yeah, I mean we had we've got a lot of love so far for um, like user syndrome with spine track and he pep. And um, even Succession Man, but um, sadly, this is one I don't think is uh, making it through. Yeah, so come and stand easily for me. How about you, Al? Hey, me up, but not easily. They're both of them. <laughs> Can I vote for a different song instead, please? <laughs> Hell. So Peely has put, I've talked before about really liking Latin music syndrome, but what I didn't mention is that five tracks get programmed out whenever it gets spun. This is one of them. Boring, a bit annoying, goes on way too long. Don't get it. Uh, he's given Coliseum zero points. And uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to follow his lead on that. Yes, and uh, Sage Temple has gone the same way. So, uh, yeah. come and stand at your door. I'm happy to say goes through. And we're coming down to the last show then of the evening, Mad Mark Goth versus Insult Song, another uh, comedy, a fallers comedy troupe. Let's uh, hear a little bit of Mad Mark Goth. Should we crack on with the best songs? Make us laugh, Mark. Make us laugh. <laughs> now you've made us cry.
go to canvas hands Our shirts are well out of our pants Oh, mate, mate, oh, mate, oh, mate. The second surely bit of the evening, he got an episode out of that one. Oh, mate. Phil, what do you think of the song Mad Mark Goth by The Fall? So I think it, this is very similar to where we started from arrangement-wise. It's all of the momentum is with the guitars and the bass that's, that's playing all the way through it. Very um, sparse drum arrangement, apart from the uh, explosion of tambourine at the end, which is uh, keeps it interesting. Um, it's not obviously it's not as um, successful as the first track at, at kind of at, at what it's trying to do. Partly because the lyrics are just on the nose. I, I think before even reading that it was obviously about somebody, it was it was it struck me that this was just one of his kind of playground insult songs. There was there was probably about somebody that he knew, uh, which I think it turns out to be the case. And it's it's quite funny, I guess, in places. Um, some silly lyrics and the the repetitious stuff is not as boring as some of the songs, but it doesn't work as well as some of the songs. Although by the time I listened to it through a few times, it did grow on me. And I wasn't as annoyed by it as the first couple of times that I listened to it, where it was, uh, I, I was kind of expecting it to do something else, which it never really does. It's kind of a first and middling tune for me, this one, I guess. So in 2000, this came out in 2003, so in 2002, Mogwai uh, did the... Um, Canberra Sands in All Tomorrow's Parties thing. I went to it at the Fall Played, and there were a lot of uh, mock goths because at that time there was that kind of, he talks about having a tick on the side of their pants. And so a lot of, there was a lot of like gothic kind of like black clothes were mixing with track suits and stuff like that. Again, it's another one that um, maybe is a bit close to home around that era. I think Shellac organized that i remember i went there godspeed your black emperor played um shellac the fall uh mogwai it was fucking great uh, great event mm-hmm. go to canberra sands our shirts are well out of our pants mm-hmm. all week we work for daytime tv when we laugh we say tee hee <laughs> we're 29 going on 49 we get groups off before half nine it's got to be you know, about that you know, event I, I heard him say i heard him say tee hee hee a few times in it and like every time i can think to myself he's not actually just said tee hee hee there has he he's not actually just said that on a record he actually has he's talking about media types some of whom we may or may not know um talking about um that mighty bush lad oh that mighty bush lad um, but actually, I love the vocals, and I do think, even though it is on the nose, you know, and it, it, it's it's up there. It's as good as Idiot Josh Solan in terms of a takedown. But I'm waiting for the big drums coming. I'm waiting for something else to happen. But it's just that insistent guitar riff, and that, and then at some point, someone attacks a toy xylophone towards the end. Uh, I like it, but uh, maybe it needed a little bit, a little bit more. Al, oh, what do you think of this one? Yeah, I completely agree with you with the, uh, the, the rhythm side of things. Um, and it is weird that how minimal some of the selections have been for, for the uh, percussion for this week. But yeah, it reminded me a bit of Sleep of Mods or something like that, um, just with the, the repetitious riff or, or well, the guitar riff. And, 
again, I thought it sounded like a, a Nirvana riff on, on loop, you know. Smith's vocals, I, I love the effect. Um, the lyrics, yeah, they're, they're amazing. Um, but it's... It, well, I suppose it's, it's very much, you know, the fall being the fall, just we're doing it because we can, or Smith just going, no, you're doing this instead. It's okay, yeah. It's not quite fall by the numbers because it is still, it's got its charm, but uh, everything he does in there, you can find in, in another song, I think. So I'm curious, Brendan, as to who has... Who's written the most feedback about the next one? Will it be Ezra or will it be uh, the ghost of Field? Let me read what uh, Ezra on his jollies deigned to uh, to write about this particular song. Oh, this, this track, a direct off my dummy, I'll first and only listen. Oh, it's about uh, you, isn't it? It's about you, Ezra. You bloody duffer. <laughs> That's the sense in all the dealies written, though. A single word, bugger. Two words, oh dear. <laughs> Shit sandwich. <laughs> all right, moving on to insult song from Reformation Post TLC. I don't think I'm even going to let Peel and Ezra express an opinion on this song. Phil, what do you make of it? Oh, my word. That's right. <laughs> I hate this album. As everyone knows, I've made it very clear that I've absolutely no time for it whatsoever. However, this week, this song, I have listened to probably more than any of the previous songs that we had last week. And I have laughed more listening to this tune than any of the other funny songs that we've listened to. We've had quite a few of very funny fall tracks. I just, there's so many laugh out loud moments on this on this track it's it's a it's a thing of beauty however my uh the, the negative my shit which is which is absolutely dreadful it's like an old man who's lost all bladder control just wandering in just pissing all over everything there's, there's like there's two moments where he kind of hits something that's okay and and they're brief and short-lived and the rest of it just lost guitar twiddling over the top but marquis man is it's just gold it's absolute gold that just makes me laugh so much when i'm listening to it i've got so i've got to pick a few highlights sorry in, in terms of the, uh, the the jokes and stuff the tim two line because he's got the tommy cooper going on hasn't he and that just Why? to me sounds like a tommy cooper joke there was tim he's like <laughs> i walked into a bar oh 
<laughs> so it's, it's that drunk working men's compere thing that he's got going with it, isn't it? Which he pretty much carries all the way through. <laughs> From where he says, L.A. County, which just cracks me up. And the other thing that just had me crying when I was listening to it was he goes, uh, he's obviously talking about the band, isn't he? And he goes, one day... Because the, uh, they're all on the beach, Captain Beefheart's kids sunning themselves on the on the job. <laughs> One day they put the sandals on and they go to Rochdale to, to record some music. And then he goes, because they were pretty out of sight. Same voice is the beginning of Heart to Heart when Max the Butler goes, Gorgeous. <laughs> And that just that bit just hit me over the edge when I was listening to it. So, so my kind of praise about all is that the guitar is dreadful, the music wanting a lot, but it just makes me laugh so much listening to Smithy on this tune. It's a work of Al. I think the fact is that the three of us are the silliest people that I know <laughs> and this song was written almost entirely for the fucking pure owl shit that we my my other podcast my mod father's podcast is essentially that for like an hour every week just poo jokes Alistair what do you make of this I, I agree with it I liked it in a way and I think again it's the vocals I'm just wondering because it has been like the, the latest sort of like Smith stuff it's made me laugh most. Whether or not this is actually in mellowing or just enjoying, you know, like what he's doing. Uh, it's like, you know, I've got to extract a bit of fun from this somehow. Okay. Uh, I'll take the piss out of you lot. You know? um, but yeah, some of the music, it reminded me of, I've got scribbled down here, uh, the blockheads with concussion. Uh, it's a bit kind of like Muse, are we? The drum and the bass together at times reminded me a bit of Etron uh, Philly Lublian, but only slightly. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those. The, the, the vocal pulls it through. Smith's doing the lifting here because I've written functional and tepid funky rock. It does not sound like Amundel one or two. Um, but I do think that uh, Reformation DLC, this song plus over, over, if you put them together in the old row, is shit. The two of them put a story of him losing his old band and getting his new one, and it is a fucking great story. Apparently, he is ad-libbing, and he's on fucking top form in a way that makes me feel sad that we only hear the joyous Smith when he's doing Monk's covers and ad-libbing piss takes of his band, such as Bastardo the other week. And then he goes back to his like uh, meat and potatoes, wolf kiddled and so on. Um, I'm hoping I improve wrong with that. Um, I think the BFAT thing is just because BFAT was also from Los Angeles County, from uh, and um, because they do not sound anything like BFAT. There's no BFAT connection there whatsoever. Uh, they took the trout mask replica a bit too far. Um, they decided to go to Rochdale because they were recording the album in Rochdale, right? And uh, I thought his reference to Nobend was a Wigan Athletic joke because the Latics call Preston Nobend. Oh, yeah. but that's that's been a, mm, a staple for many a decade. Yeah, but Nobend is a is a place in in Lancashire. And then at some point he turns almost aggressive, tongue in cheek, and says, "Following the leader blindlessly and obeying in all goodness." 
And then he talks about how they realize that they're paying by the minute for the tape they're wasting. And then the, the, the song just stops. <laughs> I think it's absolutely fucking beautiful. It's your mate taking the piss out of, of everyone at the table. And uh, it's just hysterical. Um, What's with the accents as well at the beginning? That was just so like, why? <laughs> Is he doing an American accent? But also not. It's like, I don't know well, what he's We've already doing. established that he's got absolutely no ability to do any accent whatsoever. Even when he's trying to do a specific accent, it just comes across just bizarre foreign. That seems to be his accent, doesn't it? I watched 24-hour party people the other day and he struggled to even do Marky Smith when he's talking to uh, fake Tony Wilson. Tony, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, Tony. Exactly. Yeah, but they have to do about 20 takes of that. No, it's not. that's not how you talk normally. <laughs> Can't do it. <laughs> There was um, one other moment on it as well that I wanted to reference, which is because it is it's so ramshackle the whole thing. It's like it, it it doesn't it's it's not it's not good in any sort of normal metric. But there's a there is a moment where um, when he says that uh, ancient name from Greece, where it all just seems to lock together for about I don't know like eight or nine seconds, and it. Um. it Sounds like he's channeling this sort of Jim Morrison or something. It's like that kind of really big, kind of ambitious, almost pompous kind of rock sound that he gets going. And then he whistles at the end of it because he's got his teeth loose. And it's even better, it's even more glorious than anything the Doors ever did live. But it's like, and then it just all dissipates back into drunken working class ramshackle. So I think um, it, they played White Line Fever and the cover of White Line Fever is pretty good. It's pretty, it's pretty stomping. And, and, uh, but I think it sounds like this was a jam that was tagged on the end of it that Smith really liked and decided to keep on the album. And um, the album is all the better for it. Temple has added nothing more other than to say this also did not endear him, uh, but he would go with it if he had to. So there we go. I'm also going with it. How about you? You three. I won't go with this insult song. Definitely, a, I think the if you ignore the the music, it's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> so Peely says about insult song. Funny once, no more than that. Thanks. It did make me chuckle a few times though. So better than Mod Mock Goth. They're a bunch of twats. They're a bunch of twats. <laughs> He gives it half a point, whereas uh, Mad, Mad, Mod, Goff, whatever it's called. Negative it's two. All right, so Insult Song is going through. So that wraps up uh, proceedings for tonight, which is we have Hard Life in the Country, Van Plague, I Come and Stand at Your Door, and, and uh, Insult Song going through. Nice and interesting choice. We, uh, what's your what's your favourite of those tonight? What's your standout track of this evening, Phil and Al? Well, my first one is uh, is How to Live in the Country. I just think that's a masterpiece, that, that piece of music. What's your track? Oh, okay. It's a tough one between uh, Country and Van Plague, uh, but I think the dark kind of feel that you've got going on with country uh, is what wins it over for me. Van Plague's a, a, a different beast completely. I think, uh, again, a lot of the sound of it is for the, the choreography. Um, it's got that slow pace to it. Um, I don't think that they've been able to do the ballet dancing to pay your rates. Uh, <laughs> although that would be very funny to see. There's a clip of, a, uh, I think it's the Russian ice skating team dancing to the joke. It's on the... Uh, 
the internet, which is brilliant. It's a great uh, mid late era track. It's weird to think of country, band plague, stand at your door, an insult song, that the range of those four songs that have gone through tonight. Uh, I think Come and Stand at Your Door is the standout for me. It, uh, it did something, did something to me that no one else can understand. <laughs> Touch me in private places. <laughs> Uh, cut to exit music bye everyone so next week we've got the lad Steve from the Falling Fives podcasting website is going to join us which should be a lot of fun and then your mate Spencer's coming on as well so and uh, maybe even Paul Static so we've got a whole summer of guests Spend the bastardo look forward to that one exactly Spencer must die but now I'm telling you done this episode alright see you later